Support for Defiance comes from Kraken, consistently rated the best and most secure Bitcoin exchange. Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy and sell Bitcoin. With 24-7, 365, world-class customer service, you can trust Kraken to support you, whoever you are, wherever you are. Available at kraken.com or via the mobile app, which is available on the Apple and Android app stores. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Breaking news. Billionaire Jeffrey Epstein arrested on new sex trafficking charges. The accusations date back to the 2000s and involve alleged crimes in New York and Palm Beach. Good morning. I'm Jeff Berman, United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York. Today, we announce the unsealing of sex trafficking charges against Jeffrey Epstein. The charges allege that Epstein sexually abused young girls by enticing them to engage in sex acts for money. Epstein was arrested this past Saturday evening at Teterboro Airport. I've been looking into the life of Ghislaine Maxwell, the partner of Jeffrey Epstein, who died in his cell last year after being charged with sex trafficking of underage girls. Whilst we know a lot about Epstein's sexual exploits, we still know very little about how he made his money. I've been trying to get to the bottom of where his supposed billions came from. But I've come across dead end after dead end as people refuse to speak on or off the record about the lives of Epstein and Ghislaine. I wanted to know, where did this man, who owned a private island, private jets, and one of the most expensive properties in Manhattan, get all his money from? Usually, there are rich lists, profiles, company registries. There are clients, business partners and associates, all willing to share tales of success. But in Epstein's case, the only business partner we know of was a man named Stephen Hoffenberg, who spent 18 years in jail for creating a Ponzi scheme. And the only client of Epstein's investment business that we know of was the billionaire fashion retailer Les Wexner. Who were the other billionaire clients he supposedly managed? And why was he barely known on Wall Street? Why did his career history consist mostly of blanks? Moreover, there seemed to be almost no information about him from the 1980s, a time when ex-girlfriends and ex-friends had previously claimed he was everything ranging from a bounty hunter to a spy to an arms dealer. Getting to the bottom of the many conspiracies has proven difficult, as the name Epstein is toxic and nobody wants to be associated with him even after his death. All those people who had previously been quoted in the press as friends of his were suddenly telling me they barely knew him. With Ghislaine, it's no different. One of the most well-known society girls on the London and New York circuits was suddenly no longer a friend, but merely an acquaintance to every property mogul or media celebrity that she was formerly associated with. Of course I couldn't comment on her. I hardly knew her, they would say. But just as I thought I'd hit a brick wall, Someone finally picked up the phone. Stephen Hoffenberg, Epstein's business partner. Epstein participated in arms sales in the Middle East and with Asia and with the UK. Was this the missing link? Was this how Jeffrey Epstein made his money? I'm Tom Pattinson, and this is part two of Ghislaine for Defiance. Across this series, I wanted to tell the story of Ghislaine through the two men in her life and discover if there was a connection between them 
In the last episode, I took a closer look at her father, Robert Maxwell. And in this episode, I delved deep into Epstein's murky past. And what I found was an uncanny number of resemblances between the two. Their poor boy done good rags to Rich's story. Their charming personalities that ingratiated them with the rich, famous and criminal. Their expertise in moving large sums of money for nefarious characters. And of course, they both died in mysterious circumstances. The more I looked, the more I found that these similarities weren't just coincidence. Jeffrey Epstein and Robert Maxwell not only knew each other, they worked together. Epstein at, at that time was just a, a young fellow coming back and forth from New York to London. And eventually Maxwell put them in touch with the Israelis. And that's where Epstein started working. After Robert Maxwell's death and the subsequent discovery that the media tycoon had stolen hundreds of millions of pounds, his children went into hiding. Maxwell's sons, Ian and Kevin, were under investigation, having been part of his business, but nobody assumed Ghislaine was complicit in her father's financial dealings. After shredding documents in the office of her father's boat, she fled to New York to escape the media spotlight, where she could hide out in relative anonymity. Her father had left her a meagre allowance of only £80,000 a year from a trust fund, and her life of yachts, helicopters and private jets had suddenly come to an abrupt end. She was now living in a small apartment on Manhattan's Upper East Side that she rented for $2,000 a month. However, it was only a matter of months before she was living in a vast townhouse owned by her new boyfriend, a wealthy Jewish financier who lavished her with gifts and treated her like a princess, just like her father had. That man was Jeffrey Epstein. The poor boy from the wrong side of the tracks was supposedly making a lot of money, but his desire for status was as strong as his desire for wealth. She was friends with royalty and the highest levels of society, but since her father's sudden demise and the subsequent revelation that his empire was all built on stolen funds, her old life was gone. He had the money she needed and she had the connections he wanted. Wendy Lee, an author and journalist who was said to be an intimate friend of Robert Maxwell, wrote that Ghislaine was in no time appearing at Epstein's side as the celebrity guest at the opening of a glamorous Manhattan restaurant. Lee said, A friend had described Epstein as a strange man. He can treat her very well or very badly. He can be impatient, demanding and extremely critical of her. At the same time, he is kind and protective. Wendy Lee was one of a small handful of journalists to write about Ghislaine and her relationship with Epstein. But sadly, she died four years ago after falling from the balcony of her London apartment. Throughout the early 90s, Epstein's reputation as a ladies' man was growing. According to one friend, he always said he didn't drink, smoke or take drugs, but he loved money and he loved sex. Was Jeffrey sex mad? Obviously, said the friend. By his own admission, he was obsessed by sex. Pictures of Epstein and Ghislaine with Donald and Melania Trump have been circulating all over the internet, but Epstein's friendship with Trump went back to before he even met Melania. In 1992, for example, Epstein and Trump co-hosted a VIP party together. The party was attended by just 28 young models and themselves. Considering both men were supposedly in relationships at the time, that is an odd party to hold. 
Epstein even bragged that he was the one who introduced the young Slovenian model to the future president, something Trump and Melania have both denied. By 1996, Ghislaine was spending most of her time at Epstein's grand eight-story townhouse, which was one of the largest private residences in Manhattan. But in 2000, she moved into her own house, a mere five-story residence within walking distance of Epstein's. The property was bought for $4.95 million by an anonymous limited company with the same address as Epstein's finance business. But whilst Ghislaine's background and history was well known, Epstein's wasn't and the media were starting to grow interested in this mysterious man on the arm of New York's new society darling. An article in the London Evening Standard from January 2001 was one of the first to really question who Epstein was. In it, friends were quoted as saying that Ghislaine's dependence on Epstein is pretty total and that there were even rumours they would marry. An article in the Sydney Morning Herald said she worshipped him, telling the story of Maxwell arriving at a dinner party when her mobile phone rang. She said, Oh my God, it's Jeffrey. He's got a cold. I'm sorry, but I've got to go. He wants the best chicken soup in New York and I've got to track it down and get it to him immediately. It was imperative for her to satisfy his whims. Absolute devotion. Ghislaine was desperately in love with Epstein. He may have saved her from obscurity, but he was becoming increasingly manipulative and controlling. She had replaced her domineering father with a domineering partner. Their relationship kept gossip columnists busy during the late 90s and early 2000s, as they showed up at film premieres, store openings and society dinners, alongside the great and good of New York. They were seen out and about with disgraced film producer Harvey Weinstein and Stephen Schwartzman, the financier founder of the Blackstone Group. And Ghislaine would also dine with media darlings Tina Brown and Ariana Huffington. But the media were still trying to figure out just who Epstein was. profile of Epstein from 2002 in New York magazine titled International Money Man of Mystery wrote, Friends of the two say that Maxwell, whose social life has always been higher octane than Epstein's, lent a little pizzazz to the lower profile Epstein. Indeed, at a party at Maxwell's house, her friends say, one is just as apt to see Russian ladies of the night as one is to see Prince Andrew. His world of sordid sex was colliding with her world of high society. That same article quoted Donald Trump who described Epstein as a terrific guy and a lot of fun to be with. It is even said that he likes beautiful women as much as I do, and many of them are on the younger side. It was an article in Vanity Fair, written by Vicky Ward, that first brought Epstein to the attention of the wider world. In researching that article, its author discovered that Epstein was more than just a Wall Street financier, later claiming that she had three different women on the record accusing Epstein of sexual abuse but those accusations were edited out from the final article by the magazine's editor at the time, Graydon Carter, something he says was done because it lacked evidence and didn't meet Vanity Fair's editorial standards, not because of pressure Epstein put on him. Carter had received a bullet to his home and a decapitated cat's head was sent to his office in advance of the article being published. Epstein had a pattern of procuring girls, mostly teenagers, many underage, to give him massages. He often paid them two or three hundred dollars for each massage, and they would usually be of a sexual nature. 
He also paid the girls to recruit others that they knew. The more girls they recruited, the more they could earn. Some would be one-offs, some would be regulars. Most would be poor, and many would come from broken homes. Masseurs or yoga instructors were often recruited to travel with him between his various homes and on his private jet, dubbed the Lolita Express. And it's claimed that Ghislaine was very much part of that recruitment process. As early as February 1993, just a year into their relationship, Ghislaine was posting adverts in a yoga magazine in California on behalf of Epstein, asking for one-on-one yoga instructors. But a friend of Epstein's told me that he met two or three of his girlfriends, and they were all very pleasant. He dated a colleague at Bear Stearns in the early 80s, Paula Heil Fisher, now a successful theatre producer, and he dated 20-year-old Miss Sweden, Eva Anderson, on and off for much of the 1980s. According to one friend I spoke to who wanted to remain anonymous, Eva Anderson was his one true love. He was in love with Eva. We used to tease him and ask him when they were getting married. If he'd married her, then perhaps none of this would have ever happened, said the friend. However, Anderson presents a prime example of the web of connections and secrecy surrounding Epstein's crimes. They remained close after their split, and she defended him when he was later accused of sex trafficking of minors, saying that she would trust him with her own children. Anderson's husband, the billionaire Glenn Dubbin, was named by victim Virginia Roberts as being one of the men Epstein and Ghislaine trafficked her to. And then there was this disturbing report, that a 15-year-old Swedish girl was seen in distress at the Anderson Dubbin house. A Vanity Fair article by William D. Cohen explains that Ronaldo Rizzo and his wife, who worked as full-time chefs for the Anderson Dubbins, said in a 2016 deposition that Anderson Dubbin brought in a 15-year-old Swedish girl who had accompanied Epstein and Maxwell on a visit to the Dubbins' home. She seemed to be distraught and upset, Rizzo said, and she was shaking. She didn't want to talk, her head was down, and Rizzo thought she was on the verge of crying. According to the deposition, the girl told him and his wife that she worked for Epstein as his executive personal assistant, and when Rizzo expressed shock that such a young girl could have that job, she just breaks down hysterically. Rizzo stated that the girl told him that she was involved in some forced sexual activity at Epstein's Caribbean island and was told by Maxwell and Epstein not to discuss it. Rizzo said he and his wife were dumbfounded. We hear people approach and she just shuts up, Rizzo testified. Eva comes in and tells her that she'll be working for Eva in the city as a nanny. It wasn't until 1996 that the first record of Epstein's abuse was logged by the authorities. Maria Farmer, an artist, met Epstein at an exhibition, and he offered her an art residency in a large property in Ohio where she had more space to work. The property was owned by Epstein's client, Les Wexner. We'll come back to him later. And after she arrived, she was alarmed to discover that armed security guards at the compound refused to let her leave the property without permission from Wexner's wife. Ghislaine and Epstein then came to the property and sexually abused her. She barricaded herself into a small room and called for help. She was trapped in there for 12 hours until her father arrived, having driven all the way from Kentucky to rescue her. Maria reported the attack to both the police and the FBI, but no action was taken. She later learned Epstein had previously abused her younger sister at his ranch earlier in the same year.
In the summer of 2000, 16-year-old Virginia Roberts was working at the glamorous Mar-a-Lago Resort in Florida, owned by Epstein's friend, the real estate tycoon Donald Trump. Her dad, who worked in maintenance there, got her the summer job, helping out in the spa. Simple job, folding towels, cleaning up, bringing water. She had a lot of time to spare and would read her book on massaging, as she wanted to one day become a professional masseuse. Ghislaine Maxwell, who was visiting Mar-a-Lago with her boyfriend Epstein and her friend Donald Trump, saw Virginia reading this book and suggested she might like a job. Ghislaine, said Virginia, offered her a job as a private massage therapist for Epstein. It came with promises of professional qualifications, pay and travel around the world. The interview, however, was the start of the abuse. Ghislaine stripped down to her underwear and rubbed her breasts over Epstein, showing the young Virginia what was expected from her massages. Virginia was paid hundreds of dollars and told she had the job. For the next two and a half years, Virginia was trafficked around the world and forced to have sex with many of Epstein's friends and contacts. One of those, she claims, was Prince Andrew, the second son of the Queen of England. In the spring of 2001, when she was just 17 years old, she was told by Ghislaine to have sex with Prince Andrew during a trip to the UK. So Andrew drives in the other car. He's not with us. He's with his security guards. And in the car, Ghislaine tells me that I have to do for Andrew what I do for Jeffrey. And that made me sick. I just didn't expect it from royalty. She'd be told by Ghislaine to have sex with the prince again, once in New York and once on his private island, Little St. James. It should be added that Prince Andrew has categorically denied these claims. No. That couldn't have happened because the date that is being suggested, I was at home with the children. I'd taken Beatrice to uh, a Pizza Express in Woking for a party at, a, I suppose, sort of four or five in the afternoon. Although the police had first been alerted to Epstein almost a decade before, it wasn't until a distraught stepmother of a 14-year-old girl called the Palm Beach Police Department in 2005 that police started finally investigating. The stepmother said her stepdaughter had been paid $300 to give an old man an erotic massage. The police investigation would go on to discover notebooks and post-it notes with names and numbers of dozens of underage girls who'd been abused in Epstein's Palm Beach mansion, and in 2006, the case was taken over by the FBI. Virginia, meanwhile, had escaped Epstein's clutches in 2002. She was sent to a massage school in Thailand, and whilst there, realised this was her chance to escape. She met a martial arts teacher named Robert Giffrey and fled with him to Australia, where she married him, becoming Virginia Roberts Giffrey. Then, in 2007, the FBI came knocking. She was to become a key witness alongside 34 other minors who the FBI discovered had been abused by Epstein. But Epstein would escape prosecution of the most serious charges, taking a plea deal for procuring an underage girl for prostitution and for soliciting prostitutes. He served just 13 months in a minimum security county jail that allowed him to leave 12 hours during the day and work from home, where it's thought that girls were flown in from New York on his jet for him to continue with their abuse.
Ghislaine was not charged in 2008, and as part of Epstein's deal, it was agreed that no co-conspirators could be charged for the crime. Possible co-conspirators identified in the case included Sarah Kellen, Nadia Marchinkova, Adriana Ross and Leslie Groff, all young executive assistants of Epstein's who were paid a reported $200,000 a year. Nadia Marchinkova was referred to in court documents as his sex slave, and according to reports in New York magazine, she was purchased from Eastern Europe from her family when she was just 15 years old. Court documents also claimed Marchinkova had sex with other trafficked girls and took part in lesbian sex shows and orgies with Epstein. Victims say Ghislaine was not just helping to recruit the three girls a day that Epstein required to satiate his sexual needs. She also took part in sex acts with the girls. And according to Virginia, she also taught some of them how to conduct an erotic massage that enabled Epstein to get off. Some of the victims have said that Ghislaine was Epstein's enforcer and used threats of violence against the girls. Maria Farmer even said how Ghislaine warned her that she might be knocked down by a car whilst running on a highway if she didn't comply. And she threatened to withhold the girls' passports unless they had sex with Epstein and his friends. Epstein was charged with procuring and soliciting underage girls, not statutory rape, which is what sex with underage girls would usually be classed as. For raping over 30 victims, he only received a 13-month sentence in a minimum security facility. Compare that now to the 18 months in a maximum federal prison Epstein's butler, Alfredo Rodriguez, received. Rodriguez stole Epstein's little black book of contacts that has now been widely published. He was arrested in a police sting when he tried to sell the book and was prosecuted by the FBI. Alex Acosta was the US Attorney General for the Southern District of Florida and the attorney in charge of the case. It was later discovered that the deal, which failed to inform the victims in advance, was illegal. When Epstein was arrested again in 2018, Acosta was put under scrutiny for his lenient decision and forced to quit his role as Secretary of Labor the following year. Acosta said the reason he did the deal was that he was told that Epstein belonged to intelligence, was above his pay grade and to leave it alone. Why was Acosta, someone so senior that he was tipped for the US Attorney General role, being told to leave Epstein alone? Who was above that pay grade? Who were these people? And more importantly, who the hell was Epstein? Epstein was born in 1953 in Brooklyn to Jewish parents and grew up in a working-class neighborhood of Coney Island with his younger brother. He graduated from high school, aged 16, having skipped two grades, before then studying at the Courant Institute of Mathematical Sciences at New York University. He left after just one year in 1974 without a degree. In September of 74, he started as a physics and maths teacher at the private Dalton School on Manhattan's Upper East Side. Even then, according to a New York Times article, Epstein drew attention for his close relationship with female students, so much so that one student raised it with the school administrator. He was hired aged just 21 to teach at the prestigious school during the leadership of headmaster Donald Barr. Donald Barr was a former OSS officer in the war. OSS was a precursor to the CIA, so much like Robert Maxwell, Donald Barr was also working as a spy during the last years of the Second World War. In a dark twist of fate, 
Whilst Barr Sr. gave him his first job, it was to be Barr Jr. who was to oversee Epstein's prosecution. Donald Barr's son, William Barr, is the current US Attorney General, taking the position that Alex Acosta missed out on due to his mishandling of the 2008 Epstein case. But it wasn't long before Epstein was dismissed for poor performance at the school, shortly after Headmaster Barr retired. After charming Headmaster Barr into a plush teaching position, he charmed one of the parents at the school into giving him a well-paid job in banking. This parent was the father of a pretty young girl who was also the CEO of Bear Stearns Bank, Alan Ace Greenberg, one of the most famous bankers in Wall Street history. In 1976, Epstein started at Bear Stearns as a low-level junior assistant to a floor trader. Within four years, his ability to work well with high-value clients and working on special projects and tax mitigation saw him rise to limited partner. He had a knack for keeping money away from the taxman, but he was sacked from Bear too when he broke a Reg D violation inside a trading and finally left under a cloud in 1981 although not before pocketing his $100,000 bonus. So this is where it starts to get a bit murky. We know Epstein started a consultancy company after he left Bear Stearns in 1981 called Intercontinental Assets Group, Inc. It was unclear exactly what IAG did, but he later described it as a money retrieval company for governments, the ultra-wealthy, and other organizations who wanted to keep a low key. And sometimes he introduced himself as a bounty hunter. His friend at the time, Jesse Kornbluth, previously said, Sometimes he told me he worked for governments to recover money looted by African dictators. Other times, those dictators hired him to help them hide their stolen money. We reached out to Kornbluth three times, but we had no answer. It wasn't until 1987 that he founded J. Epstein & Co., his money management firm based in New York that would manage his mysterious client's money. So what was he doing for those six years in the 1980s? All I had to go on was a few anecdotal stories and snippets of information. For example, Wikipedia states that he helped recover millions for Spanish heiress Anna Obregón. Wendy Lee's earlier profile of Epstein stated that it's rumoured that he worked for either the Israeli intelligence service Mossad, the CIA, or even both. An Evening Standard article from 2001 said how, on one occasion, Epstein arrived in London at the home of a British arms dealer bringing a gift, a New York police-issue pump-action shotgun. God knows how he got into the country, said the friend. The former Wall Street broker, come TV personality, and self-proclaimed best friend of Donald Trump, Nikki Haskell, was one of Epstein's former girlfriends. He told me he was a spy hired by corporations to find major amounts of money which had been embezzled she said in 1992. He made it sound very glamorous. And Vicky Ward, who wrote the 2003 Vanity Fair profile of Epstein that launched him into the mainstream, said that one of Epstein's early clients was the late Saudi Arabian arms dealer Adnan Khashoggi. Khashoggi was a notorious arms dealer and drug smuggler and the middleman in the Iran-Contra scandal. This scandal involved senior U.S. officials authorizing illegal arms sales to Iran, which was under an arms embargo at the time and was an enemy of the U.S. The money from the sale of those weapons was then used to fund Contras, right-wing rebels fighting the socialist leadership in Nicaragua. 
Israel's military intelligence was also heavily involved in the Iran-Contra deal, as the plan was for Israel to ship weapons to Iran, for the United States to resupply Israel with weapons, and then for Israel to pay the United States. This deal was under the guise of aiding the release of seven US hostages who were being held in Lebanon at the time. The arms was meant as a bribe to the Iranian government to help them broker the hostages' release. This caused huge embarrassment for Ronald Reagan's government and led to the sacking of a number of very senior officials. It was the biggest scandal of Reagan's presidency and it became clear Reagan wasn't aware of major arms deals taking place right under his nose. My fellow Americans, I've said on several occasions that I wouldn't comment about the recent congressional hearings on the Iran-Contra matter until the hearings were over. Well, that time has come, so tonight I want to talk about some of the lessons we've learned. Our original initiative rapidly got all tangled up in the sale of arms, and the sale of arms got tangled up with hostages. Secretary Schultz and Secretary Weinberger both predicted that the American people would immediately assume this whole plan was an arms-for-hostages deal and nothing more. Well, unfortunately, their predictions were right. And if the Khashoggi name sounds familiar too, it's because his nephew, Jamal Khashoggi, was the journalist killed and decapitated in the Saudi embassy in Turkey in 2018. And his sister, Samira, she was the mother of Dodi Fayed, who was killed in a car crash with his lover, Princess Diana, in a tunnel in 1997. Khashoggi was the playboy crime kingpin of the 1980s. He was involved in the South American drug routes and he helped smuggle cash for the Marcos family out of the Philippines. He was arrested in 1988 in Switzerland for concealing assets and later faced fraud and racketeering charges in the US. But he was surprisingly acquitted. But the various charges had left his finances in tatters and he was forced to sell his 282-foot yacht to the Sultan of Brunei. The Sultan of Brunei then flipped the yacht in 1988 to Donald Trump for a cool $29 million. As well as Khashoggi, other key Saudi businessmen and their wives were listed in Epstein's little black book of contacts and in the flight logs of the Lolita Express. And on display at his Manhattan home was a photo of Epstein with Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi and de facto ruler. Further connections with Saudi Arabia were revealed when the Southern District of New York's prosecutors produced a fake Austrian passport dating back to the 1980s, under an alias that listed Saudi Arabia as Epstein's primary country of residence. As well as the fake passport, cash and diamonds were found at his home, as well as an expired license to carry a concealed weapon and a gun safe in his shower. During the 1980s, we know Epstein spent a lot of time in London and travelled extensively to the Middle East. Later in life, he also sat on the board of the Council of Foreign Relations alongside former CIA directors, arms dealers and CIA spies. There's so little information about his early years that the claims he made at the time of being a spy might not be as daft as I first thought. But, like all good spies, there isn't much of a paper trail. However, one name that did come up in relation to Epstein's early years was Douglas Lease, variously described as an arms dealer, international businessman, and a Mr. Fix-It, 
He was instrumental in bringing Epstein back to Wall Street. In 1975, a man named Stephen Hoffenberg started a company called Towers Financial Corporation. It bought debt that people owed to hospitals or banks at a discount and then went and collected those debts. According to Hoffenberg, Epstein worked for the company between 1987 and 1989 on a retainer of $25,000 a month and came via an introduction from Douglas Lease. In 1993, the company imploded as it was discovered that Towers Financial was a Ponzi scheme, losing investors $450 million. Hoffenberg was sentenced to 20 years in jail for the crime, serving 18. According to him, because Epstein was never a member of staff at Tower Financial and claimed he knew nothing about it, he avoided any potential charges. While still with Hoffenberg at Towers Financial, Epstein founded his own financial management firm, J. Epstein & Co., in 1988, where he claimed to only manage the finances of billionaires. According to Forbes, in 1988, there were only 191 billionaires, but as far as records show, only one of them was being managed by Epstein. That was retail tycoon Les Wexner. Leslie Wexner took over his father's women's clothing store and turned it into a multi-billion dollar business. Wexner, for reasons that are still not even slightly clear, gave Epstein full control over all his assets, his properties, his funds, and his charitable giving. But this was an unusual arrangement. It's just not typical for someone of such enormous wealth to all of a sudden give his money to some guy most people have never heard of, one Wall Streeter said in the 2002 New York Magazine piece. Wexner ended up selling Epstein his eight-story mansion on East 71st Street in Manhattan in 1995, with some people saying that Epstein paid only a dollar for it, whilst others say it cost $20 million. After Epstein's death, Wexner wrote in a letter to the members of the Wexner Foundation that Epstein had misappropriated $46 million of his funds before they parted ways in 2007. Why did Wexner wait until Epstein's death to make this claim? Why had he chosen not to take Epstein to court at any point between 2007 and his death in 2019? After all the research I was doing, I still couldn't quite get over the fact that these two incredibly influential financiers had never actually met. It seems Robert Maxwell had been laundering money for the Bulgarians and investing heavily in Israeli companies in what also looked like money laundering. And here was Epstein, claiming he was a bounty hunter for nation-states and the ultra-wealthy. Did their paths really never cross? I'd also spoken to a Middle East expert with close connections with the Israeli intelligence community about Robert Maxwell. He hinted to me that perhaps Ghislaine shared some of what she knew about her father's work or his missing money with her new lover, Epstein. But still, there was nothing to link Ghislaine and Epstein before 1991. Then I received a call. The name is Ari Ben Menashe. I used to work for Israeli military intelligence, and in that capacity, I met uh, Robert Maxwell. He was working with us, helping us um, in moving money from Iran because the Israeli government was selling uh, weapons to the Iranians at the time in the Iraq-Iran war. In the next episode of Ghislaine. He had... um, He had a very useful idiot 
next to him called Prince Andrew. The former Mossad officer explains how Jeffrey Epstein made his money. This guy would bring in the politicians. They were very proud to meet the son of the queen. And then they'd go have fun in the evening with Epstein around. That's where the uh, blackmailing starts. This show was written and narrated by myself, Tom Pattinson. Additional production and sound design was by Danny Knowles, and Peter McCormack was the executive producer. I would like to thank Gary Ben-Manash, Stephen Hoffenberg, and the other people I spoke to in the research of this show who would like to remain anonymous. Support for Defiance comes from Kraken, the best and safest place to buy and sell Bitcoin, available at kraken.com, or you can download the app from the Apple or Google App Stores. I am Tom Pattinson. Head over to defiance.news where you can download previous shows and watch our films.